our guest speaker this morning, you're familiar with, Pastor Clint Childs. He's a pastor at Grace Bible Fellowship. Let's welcome Pastor Clint back. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It is a joy to be with you again. Um, thankful for the invitation to come back. It's always a good sign when they keep inviting you back, so I think uh, I'll take that as a, a compliment. And I, I love in, uh, opening the Word of God. Um, but I have to uh, I have to start with something. I really enjoy watching. This has nothing to do with the text. I really enjoy uh, watching everybody play basketball. And so yesterday um, we were sitting and watching the boys and girls play. I had to leave early. My littlest has is sick. But I, I like to watch you guys interact. So like like I'm not a people watcher because that's weird. But I'm a people watcher. And so as I'm sitting here, the girls halftime JV or varsity game. They all run out. And Brody's sitting in the bleachers. And Brody's sticking out his hand, hoping to get a high five from some of these ladies. And not one girl reached out to touch him. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, Brody, brother, it's okay, my man. So uh, anyways, you, one day, brother, one day. One day a girl like you. It's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Mark 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark writes to us, beginning with verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's open this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, and we come before you and we thank you for an opportunity to open the sacred scriptures. We thank you that you have given us your word and that it is true. Every bit of it. It presents to us our, our, the reality of who we are, which is sinners. And it presents to us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, my prayer, as it's been with all these teachers, is that if there are students here that do not know Christ as their Savior, that they may repent of their sins and believe. And Father, I pray for the students here who do know Christ, that they would pursue Christ and grow in His image. And Father, I pray for these teachers that we continue to live a God-honoring, Christ-centered life in front of these students. We love you, and we praise you, and it's in his precious name we pray. 
Amen. Oftentimes you'll find in the business world or the secular world contracts. And the way contracts work is there's an agreement between two different people, two different entities, two different companies. And in the process, there's an agreement that company A will do this, company B will do this, or person A will do this, and person B will do this. And at the bottom of those clauses, there's usually some sort of an escape clause that says if one party violates the terms and agreements, that the contract should become null and void. You'll see this sometimes with uh, celebrities in, in our cancel culture. Uh, a celebrity is making millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. They'll say something that a company doesn't like, and they will drop the person from that company because somehow they have violated this, uh, the spirit of the contract or uh, some little clause that's in there. I say that to say this, that a lot of people view marriage as a contract. They view it as two people coming together. Uh, you hold up your end, I'll hold up my end, and if, there's a, if I find fault in you, I'm going to find a way to terminate this agreement, and I'll go out and find someone else. Marriage is a covenant. I don't want to elaborate too much more because our text will deal with the rest of this. I come from a divorced home. I grew up, uh, born in Oklahoma, moved to Iowa. My grandfather was a pastor. Uh, I, I, at the time, I thought it was a Christian home. And, and I remember thinking, I had friends, I, I attended public school, and I, that should scare anybody. I'm living proof that that's dangerous. And, and I remember uh, thinking with all my friends that there was issues in their marriages. I remember thinking and being taught in Sunday school that God doesn't want divorce. God doesn't want divorce. I remember thinking as a small child, my parents will never get divorced. It's foolproof because they're Christians. Christians don't get divorced. And I remember thinking that and thinking, and I watched friend after friend, and, and their families would divorce, and I remember thinking, man, I'm so thankful that won't happen to me. But then the divorce bug hit around sixth grade. My dad cheated on my mom. And I remember, my, you have to realize, my parents never fought publicly. I never saw my parents fight ever. And, I, and it was about 7th grade, 6th grade when they started having issues. 7th grade, dad got divorced. And it was 7th, 8th grade, dad remarried. And it was hard. Can I ask you, I, I just, if I can ask you to be raw for a second, how many of you here have divorced parents? Just a couple of you guys. I can sympathize with you. It's not fun. Because now you, what people don't realize is that when they get divorced, that it impacts the children. Right? Because now you've got, now your times, instead of having one big family time, you're going to have a divided allegiance with other families. And what happens is that then that has ramifications to their grandchildren. And I love my dad dearly. My dad passed away a couple years ago, uh, the, the uh, anniversary is two, two days ago. And I love my dad dearly, but I remember when my dad remarried, my dad remarried, and then what happens is he got divorced again and remarried again. And the consequence of that sin is that now I've got to, what happens is we don't realize that sin impacts other people. So now I have to somehow communicate to my children, okay, your grandma, who is really, you're not grandma, she was step-grandma, but now they're divorced, so she's out, and there's a new lady, but she's not really grandma. But you can call old second wife grandma. That, who should have to do that? We don't realize, it wasn't supposed to be that way.
The world has a very low thought of marriage, if, if marriage at all now. Now we have this issue of cohabitating. Well, let's just find someone to live with them and sleep with them, and, and that'll be it. And, and that's not how God works things. There's a, God, has, God is the creator of life. He's the, cre- he's the designer of life, and it's to be lived to this way. And, and from our text today, we're, we're going to see this. And my confession to you this morning, you may not appreciate this, and maybe the, the adults here will do because they, we grew up in the 90s with music. But as I was scribbling some notes last night, as I thought through this, as I went home to take care of Cora, I, uh, the old REM song, Losing My Religion, lyrics came on. And my fear is at the end of this, it's going to be, I've said too much, I haven't said enough. Because we could say a whole lot about this, and I've got a very limited window to talk about the issue of divorce. But we're going to do our best this morning. Our goal this morning as we look at these 12 verses to see what God says about divorce. And then I'm going to apply this to teenagers. And so what I want you to understand is sometimes when we read a Bible verse or a passage of Scripture and we realize that immediately it doesn't meet with us, that we kind of check out. And I don't want you to check out because I'm going to argue that this is extremely applicable for you now. You say, I'm not married. I say, praise God, a seventh grader doesn't need to be married. I remember preaching uh, as we were going through um, uh, 1 Timothy, and the issue of widows came up. There's not a whole lot of, we have a handful of widows in our church. So that doesn't mean that we're just gearing widows. And so if you're here and you're not a widow, just check out for a little bit. No, no, we need to know what the Bible says about everything. And particularly for you guys, we need to know what the Bible says about divorce because you need to understand what marriage is really about so you can begin to quote unquote divorce proof your marriage, which really isn't a thing. But you can understand what God's responsibilities are for you. If you recall, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and Mark's purpose is found very clearly. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and Mark has been laying this out for his Roman audience, that, that Jesus is none other, none other than God's Son. And we have been seeing Jesus' life and teaching along the way. He's, he's He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He teaches like no one who ever has taught before because the scribes would quote other scribes. But Jesus draws from his own authority. But I say unto you. In Mark 8, we kind of reach this pinnacle where Jesus has done all these miracles up to this point. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they give them a bunch of prophets. Well, the people say X, Y, and Z, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And, 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 but Jesus says, he presses them, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus gives them the great restriction. It says, shut up and don't tell anybody. Because they still at this point have a poor understanding of who the Messiah is. To them, the Messiah will come and overthrow Rome. It's, it's make Israel great again. Get the hats ready to go. It's going to be great. No, no, no. He says, you need a, 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 a Messiah that's going to die for you. They're still struggling with that. In Mark 10, we begin this road to Jerusalem, which is important because beginning with Mark 11 through the end, uh, we talk about the road to Jerusalem. In Mark 11 through 16, this is where he's going to hang out and this is where he's going to lay down his life. So he's heading into the home stretch. In verse 1, we get our setting. Look at the text with me if you would. Verse 1, we get our setting. It says, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Remember, Jesus isn't just 
a, a healer or miracle worker. The purpose of the miracles in the New Testament was to authenticate the messenger. In other words, I'm going to prove to you that I'm from God because we do not have a completed Scriptures yet. When Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't give them a, a King James Red Letter 1611 Bible and say, here, go, this is what's going to happen. No, no, he progressively reveals himself. And so in order to authenticate the messenger, he gives them prophets who can do miracles. Well, Jesus does miracles like nobody's business, on scale like no one has ever seen and it authenticates his message, which again is this message that John the Baptist have. Repent and believe the kingdom is here through me. Where the king is, is the kingdom. Now, I don't believe, I believe in a future kingdom. It's a separate issue. But you get a precursor of this, a foretaste of this now, that redemption history is tied to Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Jesus goes into his hometown and says, hey, this Old Testament Isaiah passage, it's, it's connected to me. I'm the coming deliverer. They say, uh, no, you're not. You're Joseph's son, right? We know you. But Jesus is out teaching. And our location here is rather interesting. And I'll tell you that here in a moment. So Jesus is doing his thing. He's teaching. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But now here comes our conflict, verse 2. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, who are our Pharisees? We've seen them before. If you're a religious person in Israel, there were four different sects, S-E-C-T-S. Not four different sects where you're male, male, male female, non-binary, that's not an issue. We're talking about four different religious sects, okay? And the Pharisees were the most popular. It was the Pharisees who were very hypocritical. They, they thought that keeping the law was how you were right with God, and Jesus has exposed them. In fact, beginning right off the bat in Mark chapter 2, we have five different times in which Jesus goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharisees, and he exposes them. He makes them look bad, and I love it. <laughs> But here's what's happening. Jesus, uh, they try to expose Jesus. And if you'll go back just a few pages there to Mark chapter 3, I just want you to set your eyes on one verse. Because Jesus has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, and he has, uh, he has bested them, if you will. I love the, the Mark 2 passage in, in Mark 2 where Jesus heals the paralyzed man, and Jesus knows their thoughts. He tells the man, your sins are forgiven. They're thinking, who does this man think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. And he says, oh, that's me. I can do this. Get up and walk. But the Mark 3 passage is rather, rather interesting because what, this is what we call foreshadowing. Those of you who have English will understand this. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They want him gone. They don't like him. So what they're going to do throughout Jesus' ministry is send people in to test him. They want to expose him, to discredit him. If I can't beat you, I'm going to find a flaw. That's, how, that's the ugliness of politics. If your policies are better than mine and you've and you're, got more people than I do, so I'm going to try to find some sort of a scandal to expose you and make you look weak. And, but the problem is Jesus is the sinless Son of God. He has no flaws and weaknesses. There are no scandals. And they want Jesus gone and they give him a test, verse 2. They, they're trying to test him. And so what is the test? Verse number 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This is a hot-button issue 
during the time. When we talk about divorce, you, you understand what that is. So divorce is that when two people are married, is it lawful, they ask, for those two people to now separate? In our society, the idea is, yes, that's fine, because it's amicable sometimes. Well, we're just going to support each other. We're going to co-parent our children from a distance. In our, in our society, there's all different types of divorces. There's an uncontested divorce where both parties just say, hey, yeah, we're done with this, we're going to move forward. There's, there's contested divorces where it gets really ugly, where, yeah, we're going to divorce, but then I want this and she wants that, and we do all this stuff, and the chainsaw comes in, cuts the piano in half, they take, it's weird. Yeah, it's, that's just not what we do. It's ugly. You're going to have a, a no-fault divorce where they just say, neither of us are at fault, we're going we're gonna, to uh, abolish this, we're going to remove it. And so in our society, there's all different types of, of divorces. And, and, and so this was an issue in Jesus' time. Can, can a man divorce his wife? And here's what's interesting about this question. If we're just reading real quick, we may, may miss this. If you do a little digging, where Jesus is at, this becomes a very hot-button issue. Because Jesus is going to be in the region of Perea, which is uh, where uh, Herod Antipas has been, is the ruler. You say, is that a big deal? Oh, yes, it is. Because you, if you remember from when we were in Mark, which is where we've been, by the way, welcome. The forerunner was who? The forerunner of Christ was who? It was John the Baptist. And we find out early that John the Baptist died. But we're not told why. When we get to Mark chapter 6, we find out why. We find out that John the Baptist was killed because he stood toe-to-toe with Herod and said, it is unlawful for you to marry the woman you married because she's a divorced woman. And John didn't like that. Neither did his wife. So if you understand the scenario, eventually they have John um, put into prison. Herod opens his big mouth and his wife is eventually asked for his wife, for, his, for John's head to be put on a platter and that's exactly what happened. You call out someone for their sin and they won't like it. And so they've got Jesus in this right area. Hey, let's ask him a real hard question to kind of put him in the corner. That gotcha question. You know what I'm talking about. It's the, it's the question that you ask a friend or you think you've really got him cornered. Oh, I got you now. And, and I love when the Pharisees try to corner Jesus uh, because it never works out for them. And so again, verse 2, and the Pharisees come up and in order to test him, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them. I love it. Here we go. What's he going to say? Well, Jesus is going to turn it back on in verse 3. He says in verse 3, he answered, what did Moses command you? In other words, not did what did Moses by himself unilaterally say. By referring to Moses, he's pointing them back to the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, look at me. We need to go back to the Bible for everything. Our ultimate question is what? What does the Bible say? That is your ultimate authority. I don't care what Oprah said. I don't care what Dr. Phil says. I don't care what the culture says. Whatever we think, say, or do, when we look at life, the question has to be, what does the Bible say? And that's exactly what Jesus does. What? Because remember, there's no New Testament yet. What does the Bible say? What does Moses say? I don't care what your heart says. I don't care what your feelings say. I don't care what the culture says. What does the Scripture say? 
Verse 4. And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate to divorce and send her away. All right, here we go. They're saying that Moses allowed divorce. Now to save time, because I've got a whole bunch more to say, what they're referring to is Deuteronomy 24. You can write that down, check it later. The entire Old Testament at no point commends or commands divorce. But understanding that we live in a fallen world, God gives us four verses about one scenario. The problem with this, and we'll get into it here in a second, the problem with this is that the Pharisees have taken it and hijacked it. Now please understand this. Look me in the eye. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to to fit your sin issue. You can, make the, you can twist Scripture and do whatever you want to make it justify your position. That's how liberal theology works. And really, that's what's going on here with the Pharisees. Well, Moses said we could just do it. It's right there in the Bible, black and white on our Torah, on our papyrus here. Look, that's not what that's meaning. You don't just take and say whatever you want. It's not how the Bible, that's why we need proper hermeneutics. That's why I love, uh, I wish we had like eight hermeneutics classes because you need to understand how to handle the Bible. Context matters. And housing is location, location, location. In the text, it's context, context, context. Where is it? So the Pharisees say that Moses permitted it. But, and here's what they, here's why they, here's how this happens. They say Moses permitted it, and then what we find out is that the rabbis take this and they, they begin to make all these extra rules called the oral tradition. Let me give you a couple examples. Gentlemen, under the Old Testament law, according to the rabbis, if your wife ruins dinner, she's gone. Gentlemen, if you find someone to be more attractive than the wife that you currently have, she's gone. There's just so many little rules where, man, if she fails to please you, she's gone. And you and I, as we think through that, that that's shallow, that's desperate, that's stupid, and I'm agreeing with you. Exactly right! But the Pharisees want to justify their sin. And watch what Jesus, I love when Jesus asks a question, they give an answer, then he goes just full on, Jesus goes full on Jesus. Some of you understand that. Here we go. Ready? Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart. What does it mean to have, what does that, that phrase hardness of heart mean? It has to do with a sinful, rebellious spirit. It wasn't supposed to be this way. But what God did, God recognizing that that fallen man is sinful, he realizes divorce is going to take place. It doesn't mean he commands it or commends it. But what he says is, I'm going to give a small provision to protect whatever. And what the Pharisees have done, have taken it and used it to their own sinful desires. And Jesus says in verse 5, he says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Because of sin in the world, because divorce isn't supposed to be a thing. Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. I'm a child of it. I hate it. 
hate it. The pressure that just goes on in my family as a married man. I got a, you know, you get married, you have a wife, and you get kids. Okay. Because now it's not just your family, her family. It's her family, your family, your family. I can't even, I don't know if I can even recall the last time my family was together for Christmas. Thanksgiving. It's not supposed to be that way. The heartache that comes with it. And Jesus says he gave, a present, uh, he gave a provision because of the sinful world we live in and the sin that is in your hearts. He says in verse 5, and Jesus said, because of the hardness of the hearts, he wrote you this commandment. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, back to the scriptures we go. Back to the beginning of creation, Genesis 1 and 2. He says from the beginning of creation, verse 6, God made them male and female. So there you go. There's your... There's, there's two genders, right? Male and female. Therefore, a man, verse 7, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now he says there's two genders, and now you've got what marriage is. One man, one woman. Is there anything else? Oh, you better believe it. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, cling to her, and the two shall become one flesh. In the beautiful covenant of marriage, God takes two people and he makes them one. Get this down in your head now. When you marry, it's one. You become one. Now, I don't have an opportunity to, to, to exegete marriage right now. Marriage is the most glorious thing you'll ever experience and the most trying thing you'll ever experience. You want to realize how sinful you are? Get married. The adults laugh. The children are like, what? No, just trust me on this one. My wife is beautiful, loving, gracious, kind. What was this other word you wrote down? I can't see here. What did you want me to say about you? Okay, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Marriage is difficult. This isn't the Hallmark Channel where everything ends in a happy ending and you buy a, a farm somewhere with pumpkins and have a wine factory. Or something. I don't even know what that is. It's not how this works. It's hard. You're going to get into arguments. You're going you're gonna to realize each people's take. The biggest problem in marriage is you. I'm telling you right now. You'll fight. Well, never mind. And you move on. She's pretty, kind, gorgeous. She told me to write these down. i got to remember this. Okay, no. I'm just teasing. So Jesus says in verse 6, from the beginning of creation, he goes back, he's quoting Genesis 2.24 is what he's doing. One man, one woman, and they are together. And how long are they together? Uh, verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is one man, one woman together forever. And the 7th and 12th grade students, you need to understand this now. When it comes to marriage, you get one shot. Make it count. This is God's design. God hates marriage. God hates... Uh, doesn't hate marriage as well. That's weird. God hates divorce. God hates divorce, Right? He hates it. 
And it said, look, and what's interesting is the verbiage in verse 9. What God has joined together in the covenant of marriage, God joins you together. It is God's doing. And if God joins it, let no man separate. That means suck it up, buttercup, you're in this. That's the Clint Child's version. Now I need to hurry here. I want to give you some D group time. You say, what does this have to do? Well, let me keep reading real quick. Verse 10, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. This is is a sensitive topic for the day. And Jesus, verse 11, said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. In other words, if you divorce your spouse just because you're, you're done with her and marry someone else, you're committing adultery against your wife. If a wife divorces her husband, she's like, I'm just done with him. He, he doesn't make me happy anymore, which is the weirdest. Ladies, I'm going to tell you right now, no man will ever make you happy. Write that down somewhere. I'm serious. No man will ever make you happy. Why? Because joy can't come from me. It ultimately comes from God. There are some days you'll look at your husband and say, oh man, that's the man I married. He's so beautiful. The next day it's going to be, I want to strangle that man. I know we can't get divorced, but can I murder him? Is that okay? Now I want to say this before I jump into our application. The New Testament and I'm not going to dive into this. I'm, I'm not going to wade into this. The New Testament lays out certain circumstances in which God permits divorce. He hates it, but he will permit it. Number one is adultery. That doesn't mean that if, if your spouse commits adultery, you have to divorce them. It means there's some counseling you can go through. There's some major forgiveness you can go through. Are there major hurdles? Yes. But God's grace is sufficient if it's done right. I'm, counsel- I'm not counseling yet. There's a lady that has been um, actively attending our church, and there's going to come a point where I'm, we're going to sit down and talk because her, how, her husband is just a habitual adulterer. The second reason you can get divorced is if your husband, and it's not even mandated, Paul says stay, but if you find out you've married an unbeliever, so you come to Christ, you're a believer and, and your spouse is not, there's, there's room for you to, to walk out and say, that, no, I need to be with a believer. But even then, God says, it's best that actually if you stay so that, the, to, that your husband or wife has a testimony of Christ in the home. Those are your two. I would give you a third one for wisdom purposes. And I would say if there's abuse involved, but we'll discuss that some other time. If there's physical violence in the home. So what does this have to do with you and I? What does that have to do with 7th and 12th grade kids? You might not be married now, but some of you will be. God has gifted some with the gift of singleness. Brody, I don't think that's a picture of that by those girls not touching your hand, brother. But some people, Paul says, some people do have the gift of singleness, right? But this is very impactful for you and I because, because some of you will be married. And I'm concerned for some of you. Some of you are going to struggle to find a wife because you struggle to find deodorant. So you really, if you can't do the basics, we can't do the big things, right? I'm looking at you, junior high. Okay. So what does this have to do with you and I? And if, if you're going to get married, 
Stay with me. If you're going to get married, we need to look at steps that you can take to divorce-proof your marriage. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot change your spouse's heart. You can't do it. You can't change your spouse's heart. This year, my wife and I will be married 18 years. And there's many, 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 many times my wife could wish she could change my heart. And there's many times I wish I could change her heart. But you can't do that because you're not God. So when you come into marriage, when you prepare for marriage, the best thing you can do is love your spouse. But here's what you need to do is make sure that you're doing everything you can to honor God. So here, I'm going to give you three things real quick if you want to take them. Number one, pursue Christ at all costs. Here and now, you need to be pursuing Jesus with everything and stop worrying about the opposite sex. I was a junior higher. I was a high schooler. I get it. Giggle, giggle, giggle. She's pretty. Giggle, giggle, giggle. Right? Or, oh, I can't believe he's so cute. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, can I just tell you something in all seriousness? God has designed you to like the opposite sex. That's a good thing. Right? But at this age, you don't need to be worrying about the opposite sex unless you're planning on getting married soon. I tell my children this, I'm very going to stick by it. The only reason to date is to find a spouse. If you're not ready to get married, I say you need to remove yourself from the dating scene because you're just going to set yourself for heartache and failure. By the way, that's a narrow-minded view that I have, and I'm okay with that. But you need to pursue Christ right now. Dig into the Scriptures at all costs and, le- and learn to obey and learn to follow. Why? Because as you grow in Christ, what you're also going to do is you're going to confess and fight sin because your biggest problem is not outside of you. It's inside of you. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For it comes the spring of life, the issues of life. In Mark 7, we saw it. Jesus says, it's not what's on the outside that defiles you. It's what's on the inside. When Paul lists all the, all the sins in Colossians and Ephesians, do you know what most of them are? They're sexual sin issues. So right now, don't worry about a spouse or a dating. Worry about being godly. Worry about pursuing Christ. Learn to die to self. When you get married, it's not about you. You're going to learn to start love and to love uh, love God and love others now, and to love God and love others in your marriage. The biggest joy in my marriage is me serving my wife when I'm not a fool, trying to love my wife better. But not only do we need to pursue Christ at all costs, number two, you need to pursue sexual purity at all costs. The two biggest things people fight about in marriage, Paul Tripp says, is sex and money. Sex is God's gift to marriage, by the way. That's a side note. Sex is a good thing. It's God's gift to marriage, and it's only available within the bonds of marriage. That means pornography's out. If you're looking at pornography, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're putting unrealistic expectations on your spouse. Stop it. You're hurting yourself. You're sinning against God. Everything in this culture, sex sells, and they're going to continue. So the pornography, the sexual jokes, the funny television series where they joke about sex, we shouldn't be joking about sin at all. 
We need to pursue sexual purity. Because then you're saving yourself for one person together forever. And can I just say this right now? If some of you have already sinned in the areas of sexual purity, whether it's pornography or whether it's actually being engaged with someone else sexually, there's grace and forgiveness for that. Praise God for Jesus. Pursue Christ at all costs. Pursue pursue sexual purity at all costs. And as you pursue Christ and as you follow and as you obey, when the time comes, brothers and sisters, as you're pursuing Christ, look left and right and find someone of the opposite sex who's doing the same thing. Elizabeth Elliot actually said that best. She goes, she goes, how do you know when you find somebody? She goes, you pursue Jesus at all costs, and as you're ready to get married, look left and right and find someone who's pursuing Jesus as well. So if you're trying to date somebody, but they're not following Jesus, red flag, they're out. If they're not a believer, they're out. That's why you should be, I quote, unquote, fishing, if you will, fishing for a spouse. That's a weird thing to say. But the local church is where you probably should start. Or a Bible, or Bible college, somewhere, someone who believes the same as you do, because you got one shot at this. We need to make sure that we're being discerning and doing what's right. So let me close just by saying this again. I, I've said too much, but I haven't said enough. Let me close with this: God hates divorce. Number two, even at this age, purpose in your heart that divorce is not an option. Because if you kind of leave it in the back of your head, like maybe it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, you may lean into that at some point. Thick or thin, baby, you and I, here we go. And number three, pursue Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, if, if, if God's got your heart and you're pursuing Jesus, you're going to be okay. Because as you pursue Christ, you're going to learn to discern and you're going to learn to do a whole bunch of stuff. People always tell me, like when it comes to job, I don't know what to do with my life. Are you following Jesus and loving him? Yeah, then do whatever you want. As long as God's got your heart, you're not going to screw that up. And can I just say this as I close as well? That divorce is not the unpardonable sin. When my mom got divorced, the church that we were in kind of treated her, if you will, like a redheaded stepchild. There's an old thing, they just kind of treat her differently. And brothers and sisters, God forgives all sin. So let's be wise. Let's pursue Christ. And view and pursue marriage as God would have us to do that. Father, we thank you for an opportunity this morning to open the sacred scriptures. And we thank you that the word of God does not return void. And Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of an ugliness of this world, there is grace for people who get divorced, for sexual sins, for all these different things. And Lord, I pray for these students even now that if they don't know Christ, that they would know Christ. And that for those who do know Christ, that they would pursue Christ-likeness now, worrying about Jesus above all things. And when the time comes, that you would 
bring a spouse into their life that loves Jesus just as much as they do and help them pursue Christ-likeness as well. That they would honor you in how they view marriage and the seriousness of this commitment. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and it's in Christ's name.